I'd like for you to turn in your Bible or swipe if you have an electronic version. Let's go in our Bibles together to Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to um, read the text and I'll pray. This morning's message that I want to share with you is called God's Answer for Anxious Hearts. God's Answer for Anxious Hearts. Let's read the text. It'll be up on the screen, but I want you to keep it open because we'll be looking again and again uh, at, at some of the words of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. I'm reading from the ESV version. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you will equip me to say something that will strengthen your people in this church this morning. We are the people of God. We are your children. And Lord, if there are any who are here who have not received Christ, the invitation is present in in the gospel this morning. God, you welcome us into fellowship with you. And thank you, Lord, for your presence, which has already kissed this service. Lord, would you do that in your word? This is our worship to give attention to the listening to your word and to the applying it to our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. We live in an anxious, anxious world. And it seems like anxiety is coming to a pitch level. Think about your own life. Think about what you see on the news or read in the newspapers. We have stresses in our culture and society. As us as Americans, we're, we're, we're under political duress. Uh, we, we're a nation divided. Uh, we, we, are, we have issues that are screaming at us about climate change, whatever we believe about it or not. There are some people who are very, very stressed and in serious anxiety about social issues. Homelessness. I read a report that in California there are 170,000 homeless people. It's staggering. Stress and anxiety is rising and it's, it's pinnacling. And for, for most of us, anxiety is something that's temporary. We face stress. We might react to stress. We might uh, respond with fear or worry or doubt. But there are those who are debilitated. No matter where we are on, uh, on this in the spectrum, every one of us need to hear uh, words from the scripture about this. God says to us, don't be anxious Don't be anxious about anything. Now, it's an interesting statement of Scripture. First of all, this is an imperative statement, right? It's a a command. Don't be anxious. And yet, isn't it interesting in the Bible that God tells us to do something that we can't do on our own? Seriously, how can I not be anxious about anything? Anxiety will will affect all of our lives. 
You know, the Bible, the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be immovable. How can I be immovable in myself? 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe it's verse 16, verse 17, be holy. How can you be holy on your own? You see, the idea that God gives us in Scripture in the New Testament is we as believers in Christ can't live the Christian life apart from the empowering of Christ in us. Somebody say amen to that. We need him. In fact, Jesus teaching us, John chapter 15, verse uh, 1 through 5, he teaches us, I'm the vine, you are the branches. In other words, the life that, that is me is flowing into you. It flows into you and it flows out of you. And the result is spiritual fruit. We can't bear fruit on our own. Jesus made the statement, apart from me, you can do nothing. So when God says, don't be anxious, he's really telling you, you can't manage anxiety on your own. But with Christ, we can. With Christ, we can. And here is the prescription. Here's the way to, to overcome anxiety. And he gives us several, several uh, statements in these verses. Let's just talk about the fears that we face because we face anxiety and fear every single day. Truthfully, uh, we, we have the fear of the unknown uh, in certain circumstances. Somebody's starting a new job. What, what, what's going to happen? making a move, people who move to different places. The fear of the unknown, it might just cause butterflies or it might really be debilitating. We have fear of the future. What is the fear of the future? For some of us, it's, for some young people, it's will I be able to get a career and education and be able to sustain a career for the rest of my life? For those of us who are older, some of us think about our health a lot and think about our finances. Or is it my health and my finance going to last uh, as long as I, I need to go? It, it, and it can cause anxiety and fear. Um, fear of the future is, is, uh, is present all the time in our world. I want to tell you, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I've got a pain here or there. And then all of a sudden, I start to develop a little story in my own mind. You know what I'm talking about. I get a little story going and that story happens really quickly, just in a few seconds. And that story is usually like this. I'm going to die very soon. My wife's going to marry somebody more handsome than me. You know, <laughs> it's usually something like that. And uh, they're going to fill my hummingbird feeders and pet my dog. You know, uh, and it, it, it is a real thing. You know, we, we, have, we have an information age in which we live. Thank God for the WWW. I mean, uh, I, I consult for information all the time. But sometimes you get a pain and WebMD can be consulted. And then you can convince yourself you have an illness that you don't have. Fear and anxiety, fear of the future, fear of the unknown, fear of failure. I share with you one of my early, early terms of missions. Jane and I served with a Canadian missionary organization, uh, and I went back to Canada several times. I served on northern reservations of native people in northern Canada, a place called God's River, God's Narrows, Nelson House. This is all in northern Manitoba. And... I, I went to the general store. I, I mean, I, I was there. Everybody knew I was there as a pastor and a preacher. And I went to the general store and I talked to the guy and I was gonna, just going to share Jesus with him. And I, I don't remember his name. I remember his face. God love him. And uh, I, I said to him, are you a believer in Christ? 
He said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I said, well, why not? You know, why not? I mean, he saw the love of God of Christians in his community. He said, I don't know. And he kept on waffling and answering me, uh, avoiding answering me. And uh, he said to me, I don't, I don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to backslide. Isn't that an amazing thought? I don't want to become a believer because I'm afraid I might backslide, and I don't want to backslide, so I won't become a Christian. What, what a deception. And I tried to unravel that and pray with him about that. He didn't receive Christ, but the fear of, of failure can, can affect us. None of us are strangers to any of this. Th fear of the thoughts and the opinions of others. This is a big one. This is a big one. You know, what will people think if they see this or the house that I live in or this car that I drive? Well, let me tell you a little, little story here because this is all we do. We, you know, missionary life, this is all we do. I mean, uh, we've done it for, for, well, 25 years now, 1998. Uh, Full-time, prior to that, I was a pastor. I had a salary, but we depended on missionary ministry and the support of churches and believers. One time I went to a church in Oklahoma. My brother was a pastor, and uh, when we were getting ready to go, we were going we to make a tour, and I... Our car wasn't that great of a car. So in Tennessee, I went to the airport and rented a car at, you know, like a, a, an intermediate car or a, a compact car, whatever it was, a pretty low-end low car. Well, when I got to the airport, uh, I, I, I knew I was going to have a, need a car for like a month. And I, I was always hoping that I would get a little upgrade because that happens sometimes. When I got there... There was a music festival happening in Nashville, Music City. It's a great place. I could talk a lot about it. But uh, uh, there, were, there were literally no cars for the company that we rented with. I think it was budget rent-a-car. There were no cars. They told me, we don't have any cars right now. We're washing a bunch of them. We're detailing some of them. Get them out to you. If you can wait 30 minutes or not. He said, uh, but, but go out to the lot out there. There might be one coming in. When I got out there, there were two guys in, in suits, and they were managing people. And uh, one of them came over to me and said, sir, can I see your thing here? He said, we, we, well, we, we don't have any car, but we have two cars here. We only have two cars. You can, you can drive either one of them. One of them was a Mazda convertible car, a little small little thing. I looked at that and I said to him, the trunk on that's not even gonna hold my wife's makeup, I said to him. <laughs> and then I looked at the other one, he said, well, you can have the other one. It was a BMW 5 Series. I said, I'll pray about it, that's what I said. <laughs> I just said, yes, thank you, Lord. Well, anyway, I drove to my brother's house, and, we, and you know, I'm driving up in a BMW, and my brother says, ooh, you know. <laughs> and we were driving around. He wanted to drive, and we, we, you know, we had some fun. It was really a nice car. I mean, brand spanking new. And Sunday morning came, and we were going to church, and I was going to be the missionary speaker, and they were going to bless us, you know, somehow, possibly with a love offering. It wasn't, wasn't really known. But anyway, I said to my brother, Jim, I said, I am not driving this car to church because what will people think if they see me driving a BMW? Anyway, it all worked out for good. How can we find relief from anxieties and fear? How, how, how really can we 
find relief. The Bible does give us an answer. And here's three responses as Christians. Number one, so simple, yet so profound, prayer. I think we could have testimonies till tonight that when you have prayed in difficult circumstances, maybe the circumstance didn't change, but a settled peace came on your heart, the confidence from God. God's got this. He's in control. I've laid it at his feet, and he's going to, he's going to help me get through this somehow. He'll, he'll give me wisdom. He'll give me, he'll give me things to, to do, steps to take. Prayer does change things. Jesus gave us a statement, or actually it's, it's a preface to the parable. I think it's Luke chapter 18, verse 1 says, He spoke a parable that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. The old King James said, and not faint. Don't stop praying. That's my encouragement to you. Don't stop praying. And your thought might be, I've been praying about this thing or that for a long, long time. Here's a testimony. I hope this rocks your world as it did mine. One of the great, great Christian leaders of former generations was George Mueller. George Mueller of Bristol, England, ministered to orphan children in England in the 1800s. Well, Mueller ministered to thousands upon thousands of orphans, and yet he never had uh, he never requested funds from anyone, never spoke about their needs, but their needs were always, always met. He was a, a man who was known for great faith and great prayer. George Mueller wrote in his, in his journals, he wrote about uh, his friends who were not saved when he became a believer. He said, I, I ha he, at 18 years of age, he said, I have eight friends who are not believers in Christ, and I am praying for them that they might come to Christ. And one by one by one, they came to the Lord. George Mueller wrote this in that, in that same paragraph, but one friend whom I've been praying for for 63 years is not saved, but he will be because God answers prayer. He said something along those lines. That man did not come to Christ, and George Mueller went to be with Jesus. Mueller went to be with Jesus, and his funeral was attended by thousands of people, but his friend was right at the front. He was right there with other friends. And when George Mueller's body was being lowered into the ground, he was overcome with repentance and heart crying out to God, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His, he received Christ, 63 years of a man praying, and yet he didn't see the answer to that prayer during his lifetime. Here's what I want to say to you. Your prayers, even the prayers that you pray today for your children, grandchildren, relatives, friends, coworkers, they have the power to outlast your lifetime. That's the truth about prayer. Prayer is powerful. It can go multi-generational. It can send the power of God's pur purposes and Holy Spirit to succeeding generations. George Mueller prayed in that way. And we, we see in the scripture, and I don't have the name and address on this uh, verse, but God says in his word, it's, it's a prophetic statement, before they call on me, I will answer. In other words, before you pray, I'm answering that prayer before you pray. 
How many have ever experienced something like that? That you found the answer before, uh, before you even really thought about praying, it was already in process, it was already happening. That's who God is. Here's an amazing testimony, and you know, I, I'm a little bit remiss on this. Used to be able to tell stories, now people start Googling my stories, you know, and, and uh, in church, and uh, you know, we're, we're always on, we're always on, um, on guard to be factual about it. I don't, I don't, re I don't have any source for this because it's an old testimony, but I remember hearing it. I'm going to repeat it to you. Those who told it said it was absolutely factual. Several years ago, I believe it was during the 1980s, these suburban Americans uh, went to, they went garage selling on a, on a, on a Saturday and and uh, so uh, the wife came home with a few items and her girlfriend came over and said, oh, what'd you do today? I went garage selling I, or yard selling, tag selling, whatever you call it here. And uh, she said, uh, I got this, I got that. And I, and I just picked this up there. And she, she held up a book. She said, I don't know. I just picked this up. It was just a few cents. And, but it was in a foreign language. And she said, I don't know what kind of book it is. It looks like, it looks like it's a religious book. So a person looked at it and said, you know what? That looks like Vietnamese. This is a Bible. This is a Vietnamese Bible. I said, wow. He said, well, I don't know anybody Vietnamese. But uh, she said, well, my husband works with somebody who's Vietnamese. You know, would you, would you like, you know, maybe for me to give it to him? I said, sure. I don't even know why I bought it. Haha, it sounds like God is at work, right? So the woman took the Bible, gave it to her husband. Her husband gave it to the co-worker who was living in the United States, who himself was a believer. And what he did is he mailed it to a relative who was not a Christian in Vietnam to just share the gospel because Bibles in, Asia, in closed nations in Asia are scarce. They're hard to come by. And uh, Jane, Jane did Bible smuggling. Did you do Bible smuggling in China, Nancy? Okay. Did you do that, Mary and Doug? I, I can't even remember. I'm, I'm getting foggy. I got old timers disease here. But anyway, um, but in China, you can't get a Bible. You can't beg or borrow get, to get a Bible. So here they mailed this Bible to Vietnam. And here's number one miracle was it reached the lady. Uh, it, it was delivered to her by the postal system which it shouldn't, it shouldn't have gotten through. The authorities should have confiscated it because it was contraband. But here's the testimony. Just shortly before this Bible arrived, she had become a believer in Jesus Christ. She had accepted the Lord, and in her little, little clandestine fellowship of believers, the pastor said to her, now, now that you're a new believer, you must pray for a Bible. Pray to God that he will send a Bible. He'll get a Bible to you. She prayed for a Bible. She prayed for a Bible. And here the Bible came in the mail. But the amazing testimony was the postmark on the, on the mailing was prior to her accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Somebody say something. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Before you pray, God has the power to answer. Don't stop praying. I want to encourage you. There was there was a there was a uh, well. Let me let me go on because time will. Oh, let me let me share with you this verse. Of course, this is this is stellar in the scripture. First Thessalonians five seventeen says these words. 
Pray without ceasing. How many have read that and felt guilty about it? I, I can't do that. What am I going to do? Join a monastery? And, you know, but even monks can't pray without ceasing. They have to bake bread and wash dishes. And, and uh, the, the word does not mean in the New Testament, it does not mean to non, have nonstop prayer. But it does mean uninterrupted without omission prayer. Here's the beautiful word picture in Greek. Sometimes Greek is very, very colorful and gives us illustrations in the language. It's a word picture which speaks about the inability to suppress an urge to cough. Have you ever had a little tickle in your throat and you felt like you couldn't suppress it? It just, it just barked out a cough and you wish it didn't sometimes. Uh, before I was a pastor, I worked in IT. I was working in Minneapolis and riding the bus, and I remember being sick. <laughs> I was suppressing the cough, and then you cough because you don't, want, you don't want everybody to get nervous around you. One time we were on vacation. We were at a church in Florida. Every, every time we were on vacation with our kids on Sunday, we'd go to a church, visit a church. I want to learn about what, what different churches do. Anyway, we went to this beautiful church, huge church. I mean thousand people and uh but it was really a relatively quiet church y'all were very loud here today you know compared and so i was i had a tickling in my throat i had an urge to cough and i had this uh, uh like my brother-in-law doug he, i had these altoid peppermints you know what those are right in the in the tin right and i was like <clears throat> and so i flipped open the tin ding you know and, you know, it's got that little crinkly paper in there. And I crinkled that paper and uh, I, I grabbed a mint and I just put it in my mouth. And I, I saw all these heads looking down the aisle. We don't we don't do that in this church, you know. And I, I was I was trying not to cough, you know, but we we bark out. We belt out a cough without volition. We can't we can't stop. Can I give you a testimony about myself when, when we were living in Malaysia? My mother had a stroke, uh, and she, she suffered a stroke. She was living in my brother's town, and she had, her, had a condo. She, she was hospitalized, and we weren't able to come back to the United States for months and months. And when my mother went through this stroke and I was getting an update, I was, I was praying for my mother. I was praying often during the day, reminding myself to pray everything, anything, anything that reminded me of my mother, I prayed for her. And I mean, my, my heart, I was really crying out to God for God to touch her and heal her. Within one year, my mother went to be with Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, and it was really a sad thing. But after praying for her for all that time, and we, we went back to Asia uh, after the funeral. We came for the funeral. We, 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 uh, we had family time together. After we went back to Asia, I remember having to remind myself, you don't need to pray for your mother anymore. Because I was praying, Lord, just, just touch my mother, touch my, touch my mother. Three months afterwards, I was still praying for my mother, almost involuntarily. It was just coming out of me because it had been so much a part of my life. Don't stop praying. Let God do that in your life. Ask God, God, give me things that I'm going to remember to pray, remember to pray, remember to pray. And he, he will do it. I know some of you, your prayers for your children 
Often you're praying often, many times during the day. God hears. Let me say this to you about prayer before we go on. There's a great reward for prayer. It's, it's one of the great ministries of the church. It's one of the great ministries of the church. It's mostly done unseen. And there's a reward for you. Every time you pray, you're amassing rewards before God when you're praying, especially praying for others. God's word says this in everything. If you look at it, if you have your Bible open in everything with prayer and supplication. What, what is supplication? Supplication is an interesting word. Actually, in a Latin rendering is supplicare or supplicare. It means, it means to bow down in humility, in brokenness before God. You know, I believe in authoritative prayer. I believe in taking and claiming who we are in Christ and standing on the promises. Say amen. I believe in that. But also, prayer can come from a heart of brokenness and humility. And I, I don't know, I think praying on our knees is becoming not so fashionable in our culture. Uh, but in other places, people pray on their knees all the time as Christians. In former generations, um, people prayed exclusively in prayer meetings on their knees in Bible-believing churches. We're not, we're not talking about liturgical settings. There's a, there's a great Christian who, in history, his name was John Hyde. John Hyde. He, he, John Nelson Hyde. He got the name Praying Hyde because he was a praying man. He was a missionary to Punjab in India. And he prayed so fervently that, uh, well, I, I, read, I read some of the m misinformation that circulated. He died in the United States, but it was said that near his bed, there were visible marks where his knees were every day. And he cried out to God, if you want to get a golden little book, find a book called Praying Hide, and it's really easy to read. It's like candy. It's, it's a little thin little pamphlet book, Praying Hide. But when he died, they did an autopsy on John Hyde, and they found that his heart had shifted from the left side of his chest cavity and shifted right. Some people in the medical community said, oh, is this probably a congenital disorder? But I believe that God was giving a statement, a prophetic statement, that he really prayed his heart out for India. And he prayed on his knees. He prayed with humility. Let humility be part of your prayer. It's pleading, it's brokenness, it's asking, it's crying out to God. This, this is the kind of prayer that touches us deeply. Let me, let me address one other thing about prayer and supplication. Pray without ceasing. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seeking, you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. Jesus said that. It really gives us the idea, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The question I have, because I like to create a, a, a question in, 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 in preaching, why, why do we need to pray more than once for anything before God? God is omniscient, isn't he? He knows everything. The Bible says he knows when a sparrow falls. We sang about it. He knows the hairs on our head, the number of hairs on our head. I'm asking God to multiply and not, you know, do, amen, thank you. 
I have to wear hats in the winter now. You know, I never had to wear a hat. I had a lot of hair. God knows everything. If he knows everything, why doesn't the prayer that you pray get like on a, on a cue before God? And God said, okay, I'm, I'm going to answer that. That's going to come due. I know when I'm going to answer that. Why do we pray over and over and over again? Well, it shows desire on our hearts. We're not trying to convince God. But something happens when we pray over and over again. It's, our heart gets touched with the person, the situation, the need we're praying for. Prayer transforms our character. And it causes us to become more endeared to God relationally and more endeared to others. And prayer causes sometimes incremental responses, things that I must do now as I'm praying repeatedly for this person, this situation. Now I feel after I've prayed for this long, this is what the Lord wants me to do. Don't stop praying. He'll give you instruction. Are you doing okay? We're almost finished. Say amen. The third response is thanksgiving. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says this in the, in the New King James, in everything, give thanks. In everything. I think the NIV, the New Improved Version, says um, give thanks in all circumstances. I think it says that. It, what it really means is no matter what's happening, keep on thanking God. Keep on giving thanks to God. It doesn't mean for everything. We don't say, thank you, God, for this, this wonderful car accident that I just got in and, you know, and, and for my high deductible that I have to pay. Thank you. We don't thank God for. We thank God despite. Say amen. We keep on thanking God because there's always something that might have happened that would have been more difficult, more challenging, more stressful for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Teach me what you want me to learn through this circumstance. In everything, give thanks. In the midst of everything, in every circumstance, give thanks. We heard that in the song this morning. Colossians 3, 15, 17, and maybe we, we don't need to read this, but in this stanza of scripture, Paul is writing, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Be thankful if you see that. And look, I, I've just underlined all the thankful, the thankful phrases. Friends, if we're thankful, it, it's a prescription for a contented life. Can you say amen? Unthankfulness and stress and, and giving in to worry, doubt, it, it really causes an unhappy life. But being thankful says, wow, thank you, Lord, for this or for that. And it creates a great sense of peace and contentment. I urge you. I urge you. You know, I, I want to tell you that I, I, I like to try and be thankful um, with, with circumstances. Jane, Jane says to me, you say thank you too many times, you know. And I said, if it's really in my heart, it's not too many times, you know. So I'll just tell you briefly a little story. We stayed with some folks in Minnesota when we were missionaries. We stayed with them for five, six weeks at a time. They were so hospitable. And the, the uh, husband and wife, Ken and Sherry, God bless them. They've gone on to their rewards. Part of their rewards was putting up with us. But uh, I used to say to Sherry every night, thanks a million. Thanks a million. And she, she started joking back with me. Thanks a million. Yeah, thanks a million. You're welcome. Yeah. And so uh, I, I, I want to be sincere, though. I, it's not flattery. It's not, I, it's not insecurity in my heart. I want to be sincere. I remember one 
we, we moved out of a home that we had in, in a place called Franklin, Tennessee. I want to tell you, every home that we've lived in and we've moved out of, there was, there was a little bit of sadness leaving. It was like, it was like grieving in some ways. Even our first home, it was just a, it was a, it was a rented apartment. It was really not a nice place. But our daughter was born, came home from the hospital from there. We moved into a home of our own. But still, when we left, I just was sad. But I remember leaving Franklin, Tennessee, and I just walked around that house and around the yard and looked at all the things that we did there and all the memories. I just said, thanks. Simple. Thanks, Lord. Thanks. You know, it does something when you're thankful. Instead of, I'm glad to get rid of this house, blow the dust off my feet out of this town. And no. Look for ways to be grateful all the time. I want to give you a little assignment if I were your pastor, if I can do this, Pastor Ben, just to say, make, make a list, if you would, to be thankful to God about XYZ. Tell somebody why you're grateful to them. Appreciate others. Make a little list who you want to do that. Send them a text. Tell them verbally. Thank you for what you do, for who you are. Thankfulness has a two-way blessing. It blesses the person who receives it in, in terms of appreciation, affirmation, and it also makes our life rich. What is the result of all of these wonderful things? It's the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It goes beyond our understanding. Peace prevails. What is peace? It's, it's the tranquility of God that comes on our heart. It really means to bind, to be bound together or to experience wholeness. Peace means really to be healed and to have an inner rest where nothing can shake it. I want that, and I don't always have it. And I'm asking God, and I'm asking that for you as I was preparing. God, give peace to this people of God. Because stresses you face are very, very real. Let these things be in your life and, and part of your life. The Bible says that it will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Here's the battlefield. Here it is, right here. It's not what happens to you that's really the big challenge. It's what happens in you, in your heart and mind. A car accident, it can be repaired. It's what happens here as a result of it. Anything that happens in, in terms of battle starts to happen in the mind. And it will guard your hearts and minds. It will protect your hearts and minds. Actually, in, in Greek, this word guard means the word. It will be an umpire. It will be a referee. It will call you safe. It will call you protected by God. Look at the last phrase. The last prepositional phrase of this verse. In Christ Jesus. Who are you? If you're a Christian, you are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says this in the New Testament 216 times. In Christ Jesus. Everything that you have is all found in him. You are in Christ and you are his people. The peace of God is your spiritual inheritance. 
Would you stand with me right now to your feet? And thanks for this great honor. Just do this right now. Just put your hand on your heart if you would. Let me pray for you. Lord, we're so grateful for your presence here. We're grateful for so many things, the air that we breathe, the food that we have, the clothes that we have, the homes that we live in. We're so grateful. Lord, may we grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with you. And may stress, fears, worries, doubts, anxieties dissipate in the presence of you, Jesus. Touch your people, Lord. Let peace happen in every home. When, when my brothers and sisters go home today, may they be kissed by the peace of God. May they delight in returning to their home. May the presence of God mark their home. There'll be love in their home. There'll be health, healing, provision in their home. There'll be love. There'll be laughter. And every good thing that you desire to give to your people, may it be theirs. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.